Alright, good morning everybody. Thank you for joining us this morning here at Lighthouse Discipleship Center. My name is Dave Everett and we're going to be continuing our teaching this morning on Thanksgiving Activates Faith. And this is part three. This will probably be the conclusion of this teaching. We'll start a new uh, teaching series starting next week. Uh, so this is just a three-part series. So, so, so you know all of our teachings are archived on our website at lighthousediscipleship.org as well as our YouTube channel. Lighthouse Establishment Center. And so with all the announcements out of the, out of the way, let's go ahead and get started and jump into our teaching this morning. We've been talking the last uh, three weeks, including, including today, talking about Thanksgiving activates faith. Okay, let us just do, do a brief little recap of what we talked about so far. Our, one of our key verses has been from Psalm 67, 5 to 6. It says, Let the peoples praise you, O God. That all the peoples praise you, that the earth shall yield her increase, and God, our God, shall bless us. We're going to, we'll come back to this briefly in just a moment, and I'll spend some more time with this verse in just a few moments. We also spent some time with Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 and 7, where Paul says that he have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him, being rooted and grown up in him. <coughs> Excuse me, and establishing the faith as you have been taught, and abounding therein with thanksgiving. We've been spending a lot of time with this passage of scripture because this scripture gives us a lot of uh, key insights to whether we can gauge whether our faith, whether we are establishing faith. If we are establishing faith, then we are abounding with thanksgiving. Another way of looking at that. If we're not abounding with thanksgiving, we're not establishing faith. Okay? And so, and we've used many scriptures, and we've we spent pretty much the whole, most of uh, part one of the three part series, I spent time with that. But, so this is a, this is a good, um, um, I can't think of the word I'm looking for this morning, but just a gauge again uh, of, of how are we establishing faith? Let's paint the picture this way. If I'm talking to you, or I'm talking to somebody, and I'm not hearing Thanksgiving come out of their voice, and their, and their words, and their tone, in the moment, in that moment, in that conversation, I'm not hearing faith. But they might be going through a problem. Let's, 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 change, let's change it up. They might be going through a problem. In a situation, the circumstance is bad, uh, you know, whatever it might be. But even though they're voicing the problem, their attitude is still thanksgiving toward God. They don't, they're not thankful about the problem, but in the problem, they're still thankful and they have a thankful attitude. And so even though they're in a problem and they might be, uh, wrestling with some things, they are abounding in thanksgiving in that circumstance. And maybe the bounding's not there, or maybe the bounding is being challenged, but they are pressing through with thanksgiving, and there is faith established there. Am I making sense with that? Okay? Because we also looked at, and we've looked at this verse many times, but by leaving it says, the communication of your faith becomes effectual or effective when we acknowledge every good thing that's in us in Christ Jesus. 
You can't acknowledge everything good thing that's in you in Christ Jesus if you're not thankful. Those two things coexist. Okay? So if you're abounding in thanksgiving, you're going to be acknowledging every good thing that's in you in Christ Jesus. Because you can't acknowledge everything that's in you in Christ Jesus and be complaining about it. It doesn't work that way. Okay? So if you're acknowledging everything that's in you in Christ Jesus, you are abounding therein with thanksgiving, you're establishing your faith, and the faith that you're communicating will be effectual. That's awesome. That's very powerful. And I taught a lot about that in, in, in part one of the series. Paul goes on to say in Thessalonians, and everything, give thanks for this is the will of God. He doesn't say, give thanks for everything. There's a lot of things I'm not giving thanks for those things, but in spite of it, in it, I'm still giving thanks to God. Because he's my faith. He's my hope. He's my source. Okay? And if you're ever wondering what the will of God is, the will of God for you is giving thanks. The opposite of that is true. If we are not giving thanks, we are outside the will of God. <coughs> Excuse me. We briefly looked at in Deuteronomy that God said, because you did not serve the Lord your God with joy and gladness of heart, which is some more attributes of what Thanksgiving looks like, then he says in the next ten verses, oh, all the negative things that will come upon them, because they do not serve the Lord your God with joy and gladness of heart. So our attitude, our thankful attitude, the spirit of joy and gladness and joy need to be evident in our lives. Excuse me. And we spend some time talking about that. We also mentioned from the Lord's Prayer, Jesus modeled that we can pray, and we'll spend some time, not with this verse, but with this concept, this morning in prayer. But his model prayer for us was sandwiched with praise. Yes, there are some things that we can pray for and supplicate and ask God for. <coughs> Excuse me. And we'll look at that in a little more detail, like I said, but when another passage of scripture. But he sandwiched the Lord's Prayer with our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. And for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. So praise and thanksgiving, joy, gladness, these are some other attributes of what thanksgiving looks like, needs to be evident in our lives, in our thoughts, in our attitude, even when we pray. Last week we spent a lot of time with Romans chapter 1, verse 21, and we looked at four keys that, sh uh, that tell us whether we are, our, our heart is becoming darkened, whether we are having vain imaginations and our heart is becoming darkened. And two of those uh, keys that we are going down that road towards a darkened heart, our hardened heart, is that we're not glorifying God as God and we're not being thankful. So if, we, if we're not glorifying God as God, and we are not being thankful, we are already in step three of vain imaginations and a darkened heart. Someone who's worried, that's vain imaginations. Someone who's worried, what if this happens? What if that happens? Those are vain imaginations, okay? You're already in step three because you've, you've, already, you've already bypassed steps one and two. 
The opposite is also true. There's steps to having, uh, uh, staying full of the presence of God, staying full of the love and joy and spirit of God, is that we do glorify Him as God, and we are thankful. And our imaginations will be good, and our hearts will be full of life and goodness. And we, we need to guard our heart. We, we echo this because in Timothy, 2 Timothy, when Paul's talking about the last days, he said, he, he, he says, but know this, that in the last days, perilous times will come, for men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful and unholy. Paul classifies unthankfulness in the same category as being unholy and many other attributes of the last days. We're living in the last days. Many people are talking about the last days, how evil the world is. Well, Paul says unthankfulness is just as evil if you put it in the same category as everything else. Being disobedient to parents, blasphemers, boasters, lovers of themselves, that's pride. Unthankfulness is, is not good. It's not godly. It's not the will of God. We're supposed to enter into his gates with thanksgiving. We're supposed to come into his presence with thanksgiving and to his courts with praise, being thankful to him, our God. And when in context of that, we're supposed to keep our hearts, guard our hearts with all diligence because out of it flows the issues of life. We'll spend a little more time with this concept, uh, not so much this verse, but this concept in, in, in this message today. So again, one of our key verses uh, in the series has been, let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Then the earth shall yield her increase. God, our own God, shall bless us. I want to echo some things that I said in our first hour, our first session uh, on this topic. But praise affects our crops. And it affects our plants. In other words, it affects our fields, our harvests. Okay? Now... Those who are farmers and uh, whatnot, they'll, they'll appreciate this, but some of you might be thinking, I'm not a farmer, I don't have crops, I don't have fields. Yes, you do. They, they might not be strawberries and potatoes and all kinds of vegetables and fruits and whatnot, but you work. You sow, you harvest at work, and you expect a harvest of a paycheck at the end of the day, at the end of the week, or maybe you own a business. And you expect the harvest of, of clients and customers and sales. Okay. And so you can use this type of language uh, of your crops uh, yielding, yielding increase and, and, uh, based on what you are as a merchant, what you are as a consumer and, uh, and whatnot. Okay. Praise affects our crops. It affects our harvest. It affects our plants. On an on a, on a opposite tone of that, Jesus cursed the fig tree. How did he curse the fig tree? With his words, with his mouth, with his tongue. Okay? And we read about that in, in Matthew chapter 11, and we're not going to go there. And we echo this already, but in Proverbs chapter 18, it says, Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat of his fruit. And there's a lot we can dig out of this, we have, and and many times in, in, in the study and in other studies. But death and life are in the power of the tongue. What we say has two options to it. There's not a third. 
It's either life or it's death. There's not a third option. There's not a third door. There's not a third outcome. Everything we say is either has death in it or it has life in it. But we'll look at it in just a minute, everything we hear, because someone else is saying it, has death and life in it as well. We need to guard our heart with all diligence, because out of it flows the issues of life. We need to guard what's going to go into this heart, into this mind. Because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Okay? And so, you know, it's on this tongue, though, of death and life are in the power of the tongue, we also spent some time in Psalm 50 where we said, Whoever offers praise glorifies me, and to him who orders his conduct aright, I will show the salvation of God. Excuse me. Life and death are the power of our tongue. We can spend a lot of time with the death part, but the life part is also there too. And the life part can also come out in our in our tongue, the things that we say, and they can come out as praise or thanksgiving, gladness, rejoicing. Okay? And so praise glorifies God. And when we praise God, when we are thankful to God, when we're using our words in our life, but we're talking about our words right now, when we use our words, and usually our words come out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. We not only glorify God, but God promises to us He will show us His salvation. And we already know in this church, because we've talked about it left and right, that the word salvation in Hebrew and also in Greek by definition, that word, Yeshua in the Hebrew, and Soteria in the Greek, it means wholeness, it means healing, it means prosperity, it means deliverance. That's the definition of the word. Every word we speak has life or death in it. There is no other option, there is no other outcome. Let me rephrase that. Everything we say, everything we say, only produces life or death. There's not a third option. Everything we say. And you're like, well, that's true if we mean it, but not if we're just joking and haphazard. Well, Jesus, Jesus would disagree with you. Because Jesus said in Matthew 12, 36 to 37, but I say to you, and Jesus is the one talking, every idle word man may speak they will give account for in the day of judgment for by your words you will be justified and by your words you will be condemned Jesus said every idle word those are the words that we're just haphazard in our own mind our own perception we are just haphazardly saying because out of the abundance of the heart the mouth still speaks even idle words why is that so? Why, are, why is it so important in our words? Because that's how we got created us. First of all, we're created in the image and the likeness of God. And by His words, by faith, He created the world. He gave us authority. Okay? And God's Word, God's Word says that our words have life and death. And everything we say is powerful. Whether you believe that, whether you agree with that, doesn't change the fact. Okay? 
is not based on your vote. It's not based on your opinion of that. It's not based on your belief system. Because going back to Proverbs, Proverbs works for everybody whether you're saved or not saved. Proverbs doesn't, doesn't, doesn't have, uh, it's not biased. And death and life are in the power of the tongue. Whether you believe that or not, it's, in one sense it doesn't matter because it's true. But it does matter because we need we have the choice. You be quoted from Deuteronomy chapter thirty. I God God says I give you life or death. You choose. But what we say matters. Now we're talking about Thanksgiving activates faith, but we're going on a little rabbit trail here just for a moment because everything we say has life or death in it. We're talking about Thanksgiving, and we're not thankful. We're speaking death. And we are thankful, praising God, we're speaking life. Okay? And every idle word that we speak, we will give it a count. Every. And you know what the word every means in Greek? It means every. All. Okay? Nothing is excluded. We will give it a count. Many people don't realize the power of their words. Whether you're saved or not saved. The power of your words are powerful. Okay? And many, because this is true, whether you realize it or not, many people are talking themselves to death. They're talking their finances to death. They're talking their business to death. Their computer, their phone, the government, society to death. What they're talking They're cursing their fields. They're cursing their bills. They're cursing their, their finances, their bank account, their homes, their bank. They're, they're cursing the bank that has their money. They're cursing, they're cursing their computers and their phones and their houses. <coughs> they're cursing their, their utilities and, and whatnot and whatnot. But just as every word it produces life or death, Everything we hear also has that effect too. Because what we hear is based on what someone else said. And what they said is life and death. And we can allow the seed of that word to produce life and death in our own hearts, in our own minds. If we don't pay attention and take heed what we are listening to. And who we are listening to. Okay. Because every, every word that we say, and other people say, and we hear it, has life and death in it. Words are powerful. Excuse me. I'm not just talking about hurting people's feelings. I'm talking about they are powerful. Okay? We must police. Police. Like a cop. Yes. We must police what words we say and what words we hear. Whether it be ours or someone else's, because it came from someone's tongue. Okay. Now, with that in mind, Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, Do not be deceived. Evil company corrupts good habits. 
King James has evil. Um, I can't think of the word right now, but it corrupts good manners. Evil communication. I think that's, that's the word. Okay, in the King James. Do not be deceived. The thing about deception is this. When you're deceived, you don't know. If you know you're deceived, you're not deceived. You might be rebelling. You might be ignoring. You might be suppressing the truth, but you're not deceived. But the danger about deception is you don't know you're deceived when you're deceived. Do not be deceived for evil communication or evil company corrupts good habits or good manners. Excuse me. Now, in context of this, I mean, if you know if you take a, a text out of a context, you're not going to come. But in context of what Paul just said here, <coughs> he was talking about the resurrection. Not just in verse 32, but in the, in the context of chapter 15. It, he was talking about, if I, in the manner of man I have fought with peace and of Ephesus with evangelists to me, if the dead do not rise, let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die. There was a philosophy that we can just eat and drink for, for tomorrow we die. And because the dead do not arise, there's no resurrection. And so Paul was, lack of a better term, debating, arguing. He was fighting with those who didn't believe there was a resurrection. That there's no hope in the resurrection. And yet this was Paul, and this was Paul, and within this context that Paul says, evil com communication corrupts good manners. That's what he was addressing. That's what he was specifically attack, attacking. But you know this whole idea that in the there's no resurrection? Even though some of you might not believe that, many of us, or many people, are acting and talking like there is no resurrection. The resurrection is part of the finished work of the cross. The finished work of the cross is not just the cross that Jesus died for you. He also rose again. And we have a living hope. You know, part of the point I'm trying to get to and going to, evil communication or evil company corrupts good matters. And so we do have to be careful in what I just said a minute ago. We have to be careful what we hear, what we listen to. Am I making sense? At the same point in time, God did not want us to be monks. We live in an evil world. And the days are getting more and more evil. So how do we handle that? Because the world is getting more evil. We don't want to be have company with them. But we're in the world, but we're not of the world. How do we guard our heart with that? How do we how do we deal with that? Because <coughs> excuse me, I don't believe that Jesus endorsed endorsed a monastic a monastic life. I don't know if I'm saying that right. But being a monk. Okay? And and yet he, even Jesus, in his day when he walked the earth for the 33 and a half years that he was walking the earth, and three and a half years that he was in ministry in, those, in his lifetime on earth, he encountered the evil world. The Roman Empire was wicked. In some ways they were more wicked than today, I think. But in their own way. I mean, they... For example, they had open orgies. They had open things. There was, there was, there was not, there, anyway, I'm not going to go there too much. 
but just they were wicked. And he didn't advocate that. But yet Jesus didn't live a monk's life. He didn't just uh, live in the temple and not do anything. Okay? Jesus also said that we are the salt of the earth. Okay? And if we're not being used as salt, then we're useless. Okay? So, I'm trying to bring some balance here. We need to careful, be careful what company we associate with. But we also can't just be monks where we are not the salt of the earth. Am I making sense? See, if we're the salt of the earth, we can't just stay in the salt shaker and be effective. You don't buy salt so it stays in the shaker. You, say you get salt so you put it in the shaker so you can put it on your food. You don't want too much salt, and you you know, and sometimes you uh, want to, you know, you want to balance that. But salt is only effective if you use it. Am I making sense? Salt has no use if it's not if it's not flavoring the food. Otherwise, it's no good. It just needs to be. It just it just does at that point. We need to be careful what we hear. We need to be careful what we're listening to. We need to be careful what we're associating with. But we are the ministers. We're the salt of the earth. We're the light of the world. And we can't do that if we are just being like monks and nuns. Okay? Evil corruption, evil, evil communication across good matters. But, let's go back to this verse. Evil company corrupts good manners. How come it's not the other way around? How come the good manners doesn't change the evil? How come evil company corrupts good manners? Shouldn't it be the other way around? If we're the light of the world, the soul of the earth, and we're the head and not the tail, how come it's not the other way around? How come it's this way? Is that not a legit question? If light is stronger than darkness, love is stronger than hate, God, life is stronger than death, why is it always this way? Well, let me first paint the picture this way. A disease is contagious, but health is not. Are you following me? Someone who has a disease, like a cold, a flu, COVID, is contagious. But someone who's healthy is not contagious. Fat, fat <laughs> comes easy. Muscles does not. Okay? And so, those are just some illustrations for me to help me understand why evil is more contagious. Than being good. And we have to be careful. We have to be mindful of our thoughts. You're the bad one. According, according to Star Wars. Okay. And we need to. Guard our heart with all diligence. Because out of it comes the issues of life. There's two examples. I'm not going to go really deep with this. But there's two examples. 
Paul and uh, his letter to, to Timothy, both his first and second letter, he was dealing with, as he was discipling Timothy to be a good pastor. They were also dealing with, I don't know if I can pronounce their names accurately, but Eminius and Pilatus. Okay, that's my stab at it. But they were teaching that the resurrection had already happened. And some people around the world are teaching that now. They do too. And Paul in 2 Timothy, you don't, I'm not going to have it on the screen, but you can read it yourself. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 16 and 18, he, he said that their words were like cancer. And those are my words. But their words were cancer. They were, in a negative way, in an evil way, spreading rumor that the resurrection had already taken place. In 1 Timothy, chapter 1, Paul said that the words were like blasphemy. And he ended up turning them over to Satan. And turning them over to Satan, we can find about that in Matthew 18. It means that we withdraw our fellowship with them. Evil communication corrupts good, ma good manners. And because they were teaching false doctrine, teaching something that was unhealthy, he expelled them from the church. And that making sense, because evil communication corrupted matters. He did not want their evil communication in the church. And that, and that making sense. Another example, and this is more of an Old Testament example, but, excuse me, you remember Lot, Abraham's nephew, Sodom and Gomorrah, okay, his association with, 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 with the ungodly in Sodom and Gomorrah. And actually, Peter talks about that um, in 1 Peter. And he says, And, and delivered righteous Lot was oppressive, was oppressed by the filthy conduct of the wicked, but the right, uh, righteous man dwelling among them, the righteous man being Lot, tormented in his righteous soul from day to day by seeing and hearing. The law of his deeds. And the Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of temptation and to reserve and unjust under punishment for the day of judgment. I'm, again, I'm not going to spend a lot of time with this, but two examples Paul dealt with false doctrine in the church. And he expelled that false doctrine in the church because evil communication corrupts good manners. Also, God rescued Lot so that Lot did not have to be tormented by the laws of this. <coughs> Excuse me. The point I'm trying to make, we need to be careful who we associate with. We need to be careful who we are listening doctrine from. We're talking about Thanksgiving activates faith. I'm, I went on a little side trail here that we need to be aware, be aware of who we associate with. Because, let's take this to another level. If you're around people who are unthankful, you too can be someone who is unthankful. Am I making sense? These are just two examples. Don't get don't get sidetracked with Lot. Don't get sidetracked with this uh, an example of Paul. These are just examples of how the Word of God teaches the Apostle Paul in the New Testament and also Peter, two of them, two of the main, were actually the main 
patriarchs of the church, if I could put it that way. They, they warned us who we are associating with, just like Lot, just like Paul, who was the apostle of the church, of the churches that he planted. He did not, they do not encourage us to associate with bad company. And that makes sense? Let's, let's change gears. So. Let's get back to our study about talking about Thanksgiving activates faith. Let's go to Philippians chapter 4. We'll spend some time here. And we've mentioned it before, but I'm going to spend a little more time before I miss this morning. Philippians chapter 4, we'll begin with verse 4. And it's real simple here at the beginning, but in verse 4 it says, Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. I want to stop there just for a moment. <coughs> rejoice. Let's talk about rejoicing. Rejoice in the Lord always. Let's talk about that just for a moment. We'll read the rest in just a moment. Let's stop with that just for now. Rejoice. Now this word rejoice is a verb. A verb is something that you do. Are you following me? It's also a command. Something we are commanded to do, rejoice. And we're supposed whatever we're supposed to do, we're supposed to do it when? Always. Do we ever take a vacation from rejoicing? No. Is rejoicing dependent on what we're going through? No. We rejoice when? Always. We always are supposed to be rejoicing. But this word rejoice is a verb. It's something we do. Rejoicing is not happiness. Happiness is a state of being. But rejoicing is a verb. We rejoice whether we're happy or not. Did you hear me? We rejoice whether our state of being is happy or not. We rejoice regardless of what is happening. And we rejoice regardless of how we feel. Are you following me? See, joy, and the fruit of the Spirit includes joy. Joy is something we already have in our born-again spirit because the fruit of the spirit is joy. There's many other attributes to the Spirit of God, but one of those that we're focused on right now is joy. See, joy is something you have, but rejoicing is something you do. Are you following me? This is a noun. Joy is a noun. Rejoicing is a verb. Are you following me? Joy comes from within because it's the fruit of the Spirit. It doesn't come from without based on our state of being, happiness, our anger, our depression, or any other negative state of being. Joy comes from within. 
it's, a, it's our inward response based on the Spirit of God who is inside of us. Are you following me? Because we have the fruit, the, the, joy, the fruit of the Spirit, which is joy, we always have joy. We always have it. It's always there. If you're born again, you didn't have the Spirit of God. But we choose to rejoice. I want to say that again, but I want to say it together. We always have joy. It's always present. But we choose to rejoice. And we're supposed to choose to rejoice no matter what our state of being is. And we're supposed to do it always. Are you following me? Okay? It's a command. And he actually says it twice, and again I said again, rejoice. We'll come to that in just a minute. He says it twice. And I just want to point out, Paul wrote this while he was in prison. It wasn't based on his state of being. It was based on his choice to rejoice. His choice to rejoice. That's, that sounds good. Okay? Let me, give, let me just walk through several scriptures here. I'm not going to go at length of these scriptures. I just want to point out several things that the Word of God says we're supposed to rejoice about. These the scriptures, I'm not going to really read out the context. I'm not going to re read the whole verse. I just want to point out several things that the Word of God, not just Paul, said that we're supposed to rejoice about. Is that okay with you? Yet we have, in other words, we have authority over our emotions. And we can choose to rejoice. Joy is something we have. Happiness is a state of being. But rejoicing is something we choose to do. The first one comes from Leviticus, chapter 23, verse 40. And it says, we are to rejoice before the Lord. That's also echoed in Deuteronomy 12, 12. We're to rejoice before the Lord your God. Are you following me? <coughs> I'm going to go these a little fast. Like I said, I'm not going to read the whole context of verse. But just bear with me. You can re-watch re re the video if you really I need to go slower. First Samuel 1, 1, 2 to 1. It's a, the, <coughs> the song of Hannah. And she said, now that she's rejoicing in the Lord, which is kind of echo what we just read. She's rejoicing in her salvation. We can rejoice, and we're supposed to rejoice in our salvation. In First Chronicles, we are to rejoice, all those who re rejoice, that because we seek the Lord. In Second Chronicles 641, it says we are to rejoice in goodness, in His goodness. That makes sense? Okay. In Psalm 31, 7, we're to rejoice in His mercy. We're supposed to, in Psalm 71, 23, we're to rejoice when we sing to Him. Sing to our God. We're supposed to rejoice. Not just lip service, not just going through the motions. I know it can be a sacrifice of praise. But we're supposed to do it rejoice. But even when it's a sacrifice of praise, we choose to rejoice. Because it's a verb. It's something we choose to do. 
New Testament Luke 10 20 says, Rejoice because our names are written in heaven. Jesus said that. We're not to rejoice because we can cast out spirits. We're supposed to rejoice because we our names are written in heaven. In John 5.35, we rejoice in his light. You got some darkness in your life? Some darkness that's overshadowing you? Rejoice in his light. In Romans 5.2, says we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. In Philippians 2.16, we rejoice in the day of Christ that is coming. Okay? And with Philippians 3.3, we rejoice in Christ Jesus. That's enough to rejoice about. Okay? And then I have one more. Colossians would rejoice in my sufferings. That, 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 that one just uh, that one always makes us uh, grovel over that. I don't know if I'm saying that right. But we already we already established from Thessalonians that we are in, in, in everything we give thanks. We don't give thanks for everything, and we don't give we don't rejoice for our sufferings, but in our sufferings we rejoice. There's a difference. Did you catch that? We're not rejoicing for our sufferings, we're rejoicing in our sufferings. We're not giving thanks for everything, but in everything we're giving thanks. Because everything we're talking about activates faith. So we're abounding as we're abound in Thanksgiving. So that our faith can be effectual. But again, not only are we supposed to rejoice, we're supposed to and do it always. In case we didn't hear Mike, he said, I, I said it again, rejoice. And there's an explanation, Mark. He, he's explaining this. It's a command. Now, I want to keep, keep, we're supposed to rejoice always. But in Psalm 16, well, well, actually, let's go to verse 5 real quick here. It says, the Lord is at hand. I love that. You know, I just noticed that when I was doing the study, it wasn't really the focus I was going to focus on, but I kept seeing that phrase, the Lord is at hand. The Lord is here. And it said in Psalm 16 that you will show me the path of life in your presence as fullness of joy. We're talking about Thanksgiving activates faith, and we're using Different attributes of that rejoicing and joy and gladness and praise. We're, it's in his presence that we find joy. And we're supposed to rejoice always. But it's in his presence that we find the fullness of joy. Not just joy. But the fullness of joy. Are you struggling to find some joy right now? You already have it if you're born again. It's already in your spirit. But it's in his presence when you find the fullness of it. The fullness means you don't, it's overflowing. There's nothing, there's, not, there's nothing held back. You can't get any more joy than you can find in his presence. And that's where you find it. Are you following me? Because the next verse is really going to make this even more powerful. Fullness of joy comes from his presence. But did he not promise, I will never leave you or forsake you? His presence is always with you. 
you might not always be paying attention. You might be whining, complaining, and focused on something else. But he said he will never leave you or forsake you. And it's in his presence you find fullness of joy. He's there. So if you don't have joy, it's not his fault, it's yours, because he's there. You're just not paying attention. You're not focused on He's there. He says he will never, by never, no never, that's what it means in the Greek, ever leave you or forsake you. And it's there that you find fullness of joy. So we have no excuse not to rejoice and be joyful and begin giving thanks. If we're not giving thanks, we are not paying attention to who is with us. Are you following me? I'm not saying all these things to get on your case. But all scripture is profitable for, for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for training. Right? I'm saying this to encourage you. I'm saying this to help you. And it's with this note, that everything we just said, that he goes on to say, we are to rejoice always. And again I say rejoice, for the Lord is at hand, and I'm, 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 I'm skipping through some things. Be anxious for nothing. Or this. Be anxious for nothing. Be anxious for nothing. That's true, but you'll understand, Pastor. No, no. Be anxious for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, that's what we're talking about, and to request be made known to God. I'll deal with this last part. In just a moment, but then let's deal with be anxious for nothing for just a moment. The King James says, be careful for nothing. We're not supposed to be worried. And you know, if you unpack this word anxious or careful, depending on what translation you're using, it means don't be worried. It means don't be uneasy. It means don't be apprehensive regarding certain events. Have you ever been uneasy? Didn't sleep all night because you didn't know what was going to happen tomorrow regarding something? Maybe you had a meeting. Maybe you had an event. Maybe you having a struggle with somebody. Maybe you don't know how you're going to pay your bills. You ever been anxious, worried, careful, apprehensive? Being anxious, being careful for nothing means that we can be totally free from concern, from, from care. Okay, that makes sense. And just like rejoice the Lord always is a command, so is this, be anxious for nothing, is a command as well. And we're supposed to be anxious for nothing, but in everything, even the small stuff, the out-of-word stuff, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to who? Your God. I want to add the word your God. Because he's just personal. He's your God. We're not supposed to be anxious for anything, 
But we're supposed to take everything to God. I want to say that again. We're not supposed to be anxious about anything, but we're supposed to take everything, even the small stuff that you think is not even worth mentioning in the prayer request, we're supposed to take everything to our Abba. Everything. Nothing is excluded. Because if you exclude something, even a small, that's not everything. Okay? And you're supposed to take everything, not being anxious for it, but with thanksgiving. And when we do it this way, when we do what he's saying here in verse 6, that is called faith. We're talking about thanksgiving activates faith. And it takes faith to not be anxious about it and take everything to God for thanksgiving. We read this, we agree with that, but we don't do it. Most of us. Am I, am I making sense this morning? We're supposed to take everything to God with the attitude of thanksgiving, not worrying about it, not fretting, not being uneasy about it, with thanksgiving, and we're supposed to make our request be known to God. Because when we have this attitude, when we have this mind, when we do this, this, this way, Paul, God, is telling us how to handle our problems. This is how we do it. And when we do it this way, it moves us into faith. Where our faith becomes effectual. Where we are establishing faith because we are bounding therein with thanksgiving. We need an attitude adjustment. What's the attitude adjustment? Thanksgiving. Okay. Because we want to be... We want to be abounded there in Thanksgiving. We want our faith to be effectual. Okay? If Thanksgiving isn't in our prayers, if Thanksgiving is not in our prayers, we're not abounding therein with Thanksgiving. And we're not establishing faith. And we know if faith is not there, we're not going to see the answer. Amen or me. We are to have thanks when we make the request made there together. It's not just making your it's not just praying and making your request made known to God. We need to do it with thanksgiving. Thanksgiving activates faith. Are you following me? We're supposed to make requests. We're supposed to ask six times in John 14, 15, and 16 before Jesus went to the cross. He said, if you ask anything in my name, I will do it. We are to ask. Ask. What do you want? What do you need? Ask. Make your request be known to God. But do it with thanksgiving. Not complaining. Not being anxious. He 
you might not have received the answer yet. I mean, you are you are doing this. You're making the request be known to God with thanksgiving before you receive the answer. The manifestation. Are you following me? This is prerequisite to receiving the answer. You don't request something you already have. You don't request something that's already manifested. But you give thanks as if it has. And we thank Him. As we are making the requests, we thank Him. Why do we do that? Because that is what we call And we are to be abounding. This is not just we squeeze in our thanksgiving in there. We are supposed to be abounding therein with thanksgiving. Let's go back and we talk about this prayer and supplication for a moment. Many people think prayer is supplication. They think it's the same thing. But they are different. Okay. Many people think prayer is supplication, asking for something. Many people think <coughs> prayer is asking or something, which is asking for something. But if you study this word prayer out of the Greek, it means worship. I'm not saying there's not other words used for prayer. That means supplication. But in this context, it means worship. It means praising God. It means thanking God. And when we worship Him, as we are supplicating here with thanksgiving, it moves us into faith. See, I hope you get this. When we come to God, not being anxious, rejoicing, not being anxious, and we bring everything with worship and supplication, with thanksgiving, it moves us into faith, and then we supplicate. Are you following me? Hopefully I can paint the picture in a different manner, slightly different way. When we come to God with worship and thanksgiving with our prayer requests, and we are thanking Him and worshiping Him first, and then we supplicate, making our request being unto God, we have been moved into faith by worship and thanksgiving says it this way. Cast all your cares upon him for he cares for you. You know the problem with this verse sometimes? Most of us cast our prayers upon him and then you know what we do? We pick it back up. 
You need to cast all your cares upon him and leave it there. It's like in the Old Testament, you bring your, your offering and then you leave and then you go pick it back up. You have a resurrection service with your lamb. With your peace offering, with your burnt offering, with whatever offering you're bringing him. We need to cast our cares upon him because he cares for us. We're doing it with worship. We're doing it with thanksgiving. And it goes on to say, and when we do it this way, the peace of God Back to Philippians, will surpass all that surpasses all understanding beyond what we can even think and imagine. Will guard your hearts and minds through Jesus Christ. Did we not already say guard your heart with all diligence because out of the flows the issues of life? We were talking in the context of be careful what you hear. But if we are worshiping God with thanksgiving, we are also hearing with our own ears our own praise and adoration and thanksgiving to God. And when we do it with that attitude, the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds through Christ Jesus. The peace of God, which is another attribute of the fruit of the Spirit, besides joy, protects you. It protects your heart. It protects your mind. It guards. How do you guard your heart with all diligence? The peace of God. How do you get the peace of God? Well, first of all, you have in your born-again spirit because it's the fruit of the spirit. But one of the ways you activate that is by bringing everything to God with prayer, worship, and, and supplication, with thanksgiving, and the peace of God. That surpasses, it surpasses your understanding of how it's going to work out. We'll guard your hearts and minds through Jesus Christ. We're supposed to keep him, he will keep in perfect peace. Those who keep their minds, keep their minds stayed upon him because they trust in him. Colossians says it this way, and let the peace of God rule in your hearts. To which also you were called to one body and be what? Thankful. That's what we're talking about. Let the peace of God rule your hearts. And some of you, you're not letting the peace of God rule your hearts. You're doing a lot of supplicating, but there's not praise, there's not pra there's not prayer, there's not worship, there's not thankfulness, there's not the peace of God is not present. Because if you really did Philippians chapter 4, verse 6, 4, 7, four, seven what happened? And if you don't see the peace of God, if I don't hear the peace of God, if someone doesn't hear the peace of God, you can hear the peace of God despite what they're going through. You didn't do verse 6. Okay? Because the peace of God will rule your heart and your minds. And you'll be thankful. And when you are communicating your faith by what you're saying, by your praise, your worship, your thanksgiving, the peace of God is ruling your heart, the joy of God, you're rejoicing, it becomes effectual because you're acknowledging the good things in you in Christ Jesus. 
You can't acknowledge everything and actually just not be in peace. If you're acknowledging everything Christ Jesus and you're still anxious for everything, you need to go fast because you didn't acknowledge everything. You left something out. And you didn't do it with Thanksgiving and you didn't let the peace of God rule your heart. See, peace, peace, let's go back to it. Peace is the result of casting all your cares upon you. There should be a big burden that's lifted off your shoulders. When you give it to God and you leave it there, and you make your requests known to God, and the peace of God begins to surround you, because you give it to God, with Thanksgiving, you know what's going to happen. You know it's going to come through. Okay. Let's, let's go forward. Because everything I'm talking about is abounding in Thanksgiving and knowing that we're establishing and, and the faith. And when we praise Him, he, He's glorified. And we can know. We can know that we know that we know. He will show us. His salvation. We can be still and we can know that He's God. We can we can be still and we will see the salvation of God. Okay. Let's go to verse 8 real quick. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue, if there's anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. In other words, if you read the Amplified, it says, fix your minds on these things. You know, we started to study this morning saying we need to be careful what we hear, we need to be careful what we say. We need to also be careful where we put our minds. And we need to meditate on these things. Keep in mind, this is all command. Okay? But you know what? I like this word that's kind of repeated about eight different times in this verse. And also come out in different ways. This word whatsoever or whatever. Whatsoever is true. You know, it doesn't always have to be what we might call spiritual. At the same point in time, I don't believe that we are going to compartmentalize our lives. If we're born again, then we have the Spirit of God. You know, someone argued with me on Facebook this week and said, Dave, you, you, um, you spiritualize everything. Well, yeah, I do. Because to be carnally minded, to be naturally minded, is death. It doesn't just lead to death. It is death. Life and death are power of death. To be naturally minded is death. But to be spiritually minded is life and peace. And I, I've said some more things to him, but um, whatever things, I'm going to focus on what it's all spiritual. Okay? That was actually a compliment for him to say that. He thought it was a, a complaint. But I'm not compartmentalizing my life. Well, this is spiritual, this is natural. No. To me, everything's spiritual. I'm spiritually minded about everything. I'm gonna I'm gonna view everything through the lies, through 
through the, through the lens of Christ. Because whatever is born of the flesh is flesh, whatever is born of the spirit is spirit. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5 16, I know no man after the flesh. My flesh was crucified in Jesus Christ. I am crucified with Christ, it's no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live, I live by the faith of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Galatians 2.20 I'm supposed to keep my focus, my meditation, my mind on these things. And it could be something even in one sense natural, but it's, no, it's good, it's true, it's honest, it's praiseworthy. God created that. God created the trees and the flowers and the butterflies and the, and the ladybugs and the doggies and the kitties and all these different things. God created them. And God can use nature to display His handiwork and show me His goodness and His gentleness and that my God is good. He can. He told me to consider the lilies of the field. He told me to consider the, 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 uh, the birds of the air. He told me to consider these things. And meditate on how my God supplies their needs according to His riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Okay? And so, I'm not going to compartmentalize. But one thing I am going to do, I'm going to keep my mind, my meditation focused on Him. Does that make sense? Because if we can do this, if we do this, in context of what he said in verse 4, rejoice always, and again I say rejoice. Be anxious for nothing. God's here. His presence is here. There's fullness of joy here because I have his presence. He's here. The Lord's at hand. And I am not being anxious for anything, but with everything, I am making my, with prayer and thanksgiving, I am making my request be known to God. And the peace of God is in my heart in Christ Jesus. If we can do this and keep our mind focused where it should be focused on and not focused where it shouldn't be focused on, we will be strong in faith. Because we will be abounding in thanksgiving. We'll be strong in our faith, and our faith will be effectual because we're acknowledging every good thing that's in us in Christ Jesus. We'll be strong in we'll not only be strong in faith, but we'll be weak, and unbelief will not even be there. There won't be any worry. There won't be any depression. But there will be joy and peace. Life and peace. Because my mind is stayed upon him. Because he cares for me. Okay. Um, I want to jump forward to Psalm 67. Again, one of our key verses. Is that the people's praise to you, O God, and all the people's praise to Then the earth shall yield her increase. When we do everything I've been trying to teach in these last three hours, last three sessions, the earth, even the earth, God has commanded the earth to yield her increase when we praise God. That's powerful, folks. God's commanded the earth to produce. Based, in other words, God has made this earth to be voice activated based on our words. God gave us authority to speak to the earth to produce. 
We're speaking to the earth, yes, but we're praising God. He's God, we're not. We make a lousy God. Get it. Well, in closing, I just have a few minutes here left. I want to close with Mark chapter 8. In Mark chapter 8, we have Jesus feeding the multitudes. Okay? And I talked about this briefly in our first hour together, but he says, And so he, Jesus, commanded the multitudes to sit down on the ground, and he took the seven loaves, and he gave thanks. That's what we're talking about, giving thanks. Thanksgiving activities. He broke them and gave them to his disciples to set before them, and they set them before the multitude. You know, there's kind of a little sub-message in closing called The Secrets of Abundance, based on what we just read from our key verse. Okay? Making, making sense? We're connecting these, these two thoughts together. But I'm going to give you three keys to seeing the secrets of abundance in your life, based on what Jesus did with feeding the multitudes. And some of you might be against this whole idea of abundance and increase, prosperity. I can't agree with you, okay? Jesus did say that we are to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to us. Jesus did say, give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be put to your bosom, for with the same measure that you use it, it will be measured back to you. Jesus did say, if we're faithful in what is least, he, and is faithful also much, he will also see, we'll also increase, we're supposed to be faithful in the little things. Both of these passages, I can, I can draw it out with many more passages of Scripture, but the, the kingdom of God is the kingdom of increase. And we're talking about abundance, okay? We're talking about the abundance of Jesus. I'm going to go back to this verse real quick, giving thanks. The first thing is, and like I said, there's three keys to the secrets of abundance. The first key is, Jesus gave thanks for what he had. Jesus gave thanks for what he had. Jesus did not complain about the lack to be able to feed the multitudes that he just had to sit down. And he didn't have to sit down because they were tired, ready to famish. He sat them down because he's ready to feed them. The first step the first thing he did was he gave thanks for what he did have. Because a boy gave him some loaves and fish. See, he didn't complain about what he didn't have. He gave thanks for what he did have. In the natural, it didn't look like these seven loaves were going to feed the multitudes. But he gave thanks for what he did have. That's a prosperous attitude. If you will have that attitude, giving thanks for what you do have, that's the attitude you need to be prosperous. A pro in other words, a prosperous attitude is a thankful attitude. Okay? Being thankful is faith in action. Rejoicing is faith 
and action. Being thankful is a lifestyle, an attitude of turning lack into abundance. Thanksgiving is a lifestyle, our attitude of turning lack into abundance. The second thing Jesus did is that he used what he had. He gave thanks for it, and he broke and gave it, and he used what he had. See, he gave the disciples a step before them. I believe it multiplied while they were distributing it. But anyway, I'm not going to go there. I don't, don't want to spend time with that right now. He used what he had. He put the resources he did have to work. After, subsequent to, giving thanks for it. See, many hold back or hold on to. And they hold on so tight what they have, but they never use it. Did not Jesus say, whatever you hold on to, you will lose? Whatever you give, you will gain back? Sometimes we, we, have, we feel like we have so little because we don't know who our God is that we hold on so tight to what we do have, we don't use it, and it can't multiply. Again, everything I'm talking about right now is subsequent to giving thanks first. And having a thankful attitude and mindset. See, many people hold on tight to what they do have. And they don't even use what they do have. Because instead of having faith in action, they have fear and control. See, Thankfulness is faith in action. That attitude, that mindset is, is an attitude. Giving. Seeking first the kingdom, giving that will be given to you is, is an attitude of faith. But fear is controlling, holding on to. Controlling with your own human control. That's pride. When you say, I got this, I'm going to hold on with my own <coughs> Me, with my own effort. That's pride, and God resists the proud and gives grace to the humble. See, an act of using and giving, because He gave it away. Acting and giving what He had brought increase. The first fruit of that was giving thanks. But the second thing was giving what he did have. Because he broke it and he gave it. There's a major point I'm trying to make here, a point to you. That I just, everything I just said was a prelude to what I'm going to say right now before we go to point three. Everything, everything. Is a seed. Did not Jesus in another teaching say the kingdom of God is like a seed? Everything we say is like a seed. Everything we hear 
is like a seed. Everything we do is like a seed. The Word of God is a seed. We're born from a seed. Every, every plant is born from a seed. Every animal is born from a seed. Every insect is born from a seed. Everything is born and comes from a seed. And we are born again of the incredible seed. And that, no seed, no seed, when you're talking about a corn, a, a tomato, a potato, a grasshopper, a monkey, a hippopotamus, a, 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 a male, boy, a girl, nothing can, no seed can increase and multiply unless it's first sown. Your seeds don't grow. They're still in the package in the, in the bag and the shelf at Walmart. They don't grow. They have to be given. They have to be sown. <coughs> and what they do, they will multiply. God has made this whole world spin on the whole opposite, whole concept, everything. Everything. Even every thought, every word, everything we listen to, everything that goes in this mind. God's word is a seed. And everything comes by seed. Born. Everything is a seed. What are you planting? What are you harvesting? What are you saying? What are you listening? What are you giving thanks to or complaining about? Because if you're complaining, everything, our words are life and death. And we are either speaking curses and doubt, we're either plucking up our seeds, we're aborting our harvest, or we are sowing the harvest out of thanks. And by faith, we are sowing what God gave us. And we are expecting God not us to bring the increase. The third thing that Jesus did, he gave thanks, he used what he did, what he had, and the third thing is, he blessed what he had. He blessed it. I started off by saying many of us are talking ourselves to death. We are cursing what we have. Some of us will use curse language, foul language, cursing those seven loaves because it can't feed the multitudes. And we're having our own little spiritual temper tantrum, wrestling with God, and cursing the very seed that we have. Many of us go throughout our days I see it all over Facebook. We're cursing our possessions. We're cursing our bosses. We're cursing our jobs. We're cursing our businesses. We're cursing our cars and our homes and our computers and our phones and our money and our government and our bills and our country and our churches. Church, we need to learn the power of our words. We need to learn the power of blessing. Jesus has redeemed us from the curse. We're not under the curse. We are under the blessing of Abraham. 
Galatians 3, 14, 15, 16, the context there. Am I, am I making any sense this morning? We need to learn the power of blessing. Some of you are wallowing in a curse that Jesus redeemed you from. You're like Paul, who's their, your, their evil communication, communication corrupt good manners, and you're like the, the evil communication corrupts your heart and your mind from realizing that Jesus is alive. He rose from the dead. He redeemed you from the pit of hell. He redeemed you from the curse. And many of you are acting and talking and living like Jesus didn't do anything to the cross. And if Jesus is not risen, Paul said, we are of all manner most miserable. And some of you are miserable. <laughs> and you shouldn't be. You should let the peace of God rule your hearts and minds. You should be praising God and the earth will yield its increase. We need to learn the power of our words. Our words are one of the most powerful forces in this world. Because by his words, God created the world. By his word, God created you. He said in Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 and 3, God is upholding all things by the power of his word. And specifically the word that Jesus died, redeemed you from the curse. And he's sitting at the right hand of God when he purged your sins. I paraphrase that. Chop it up a little bit. But God is withholding all things by the power of his word when he himself purged your sins and sat down at the right hand of my majesty. That's, that's the finished work of the cross. Him purging your sins and he sat at the right hand of God because he rose from the dead and he ascended on high. He is upholding all things by the power of his word. And he is, his word, his word has given you words. And he says, whatever you say, he, whatever you say has life or death in it. The power of life and death are in everything you say. And so we need to bless what we have. Stop looking at the seven loaves and give thanks for it and use it and bless it. Am I making sense? Bless what you have. Church, we need to speak life into our seven loaves. We need to speak life into ourselves. We need to speak life to our families. We need to speak life to our resources. We need to speak life to our future and our present. The key to abundance is giving thanks. Knowing everything is a seed. Using it, sowing it, and blessing it. Because he is able, let me go forward, to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that you ask or even imagine, according to the power that is at work in us. We need to abandon in thanksgiving so that our faith is established. And we need that all the people to praise you, O God, and all the people to praise you, that the earth will yield her increase. God, our own God, shall bless.
Amen and amen. Thanksgiving after this day. Starting next week, I'm going to be starting a new series talking about practicing the presence of the Spirit of God. We need to practice His presence. God is with us. I, 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 I shine some light on that in this teaching this morning. God is with us. And we need to practice the presence of God. We need to practice the presence of the Spirit of God. We need to practice the presence of Jesus. We need to practice the presence of our Heavenly Father. God is with us. He is here. And we need to, His pre He's here. And we need to practice spending time with Him in His Word. We need to practice spending time with Him in praise and worship. We need to practice His presence and walk with Him as Adam did in the cool of the day. We need to practice His presence. And when we do, Thanksgiving after this day. I hope that makes sense this morning. I hope that makes sense in this series. But Thanksgiving, if you are having a faith problem, then you are having a Thanksgiving problem. And how do you fix the Thanksgiving problem? You start, how do you fix the faith problem? You start rejoicing in Him always. You start thanking Him. You get your focus off the problem. You get your focus off you. And you get your focus on God. You give thanks. You know that everything is a seed. You bless. You bless. You bless your fields and your seed. Amen, amen, amen. God bless you. Have a great week. We'll see you next Sunday.